I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm Tyler Schmidt. I'm Lou Janu. And this is Car Talk, a podcast about trading cards. We're here to teach you everything you need to know about flipping cards. Whether it's the next breakout rookie, a new Magic the Gathering release on the way, or Pokemon's 25th anniversary, we'll break it all down. So sit back and listen up. Those cards collecting dust in your closet could make you some real cash. Welcome to Card Talk. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to episode eight of Card Talk. I'm Ryan, joined by Tyler and Lou, as always. We are uh, we're actually recording this episode a little early this week, so bear with us if there's something crazy that happens in the hobby. We will uh, we will get to it on an Instagram live or in next week's episode. But we want to start off today as we got a three or four part question um, from one of our listeners. It says. Uh, hey Ryan, hope you and the shop are doing well. Looks like things are starting to get back on track and the podcast has been a great addition. Had a couple questions or topics that perhaps you guys would consider for future episodes. So it says, uh, how do, uh, we'll just go right into the questions. How do sell strategies differ between social media sales versus eBay versus private sales, meaning shows, etc.? So Lou, Ty, any, uh, any immediate thoughts on this? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, first and foremost, like understanding the value of a marketplace and like, why does something like eBay exist? Right. So like any two way marketplace Etsy, or there's a lot of them you can go on and on, uh, eBay, eBay's value is marrying the buyer and the seller, right? There's a lot of work that needs to be done great. You can go and sell on eBay, but you start an account of zero followers. There's work that needs to be done. So to, to find your potential buyers. And then there's also a layer of trust, right? So eBay exists because one, they bring an ex- a massive community of buyers to the table for the seller. They also are a trusted and reputable brand. So if you're buying on that platform, you have faith that they have process and procedures in place to protect the buyer from a fraudulent seller for that they charge a fee it's common business this is the service that i provide a trusted uh, place for you to come and shop and i'm going to charge a fee to the seller to sell to those consumers so that's number one that's important to to realize because as a seller you are the the reason you're going there is because you're getting a massive a big audience to potentially buy it but if I meet Ryan walking down the middle of the street and I'm wearing a card around my uh, neck and he's like, I want to buy that card from you. And then you as a seller pull it up and are like, okay, it's going for a thousand on eBay. I want to sell it for a thousand dollars. That doesn't take into account the fact that for the seller, when they sold it for a thousand dollars on eBay, they then had to pay a 13% clip, which they don't have to pay when they're doing a direct transaction off platform. So those prices, when this is something that's different, is you shouldn't comp direct off of these platforms, StockX or eBay, if you're doing a transaction off platform, because that price carries a higher price point because of the fee. So if you're a seller, right? So, and it's important for the buyer to know, because when you're negotiating, you should negotiate that in. But Ty, I will say, I I think it's very important here to... Uh, to point out, like, I agree with that a lot. Like if, if you're selling something eBay, you're going to lose percentage. Now the buyer is also going to pay taxes. That's a new addition to eBay in the last year. But I think the big thing is, is how rare is the item you're selling, right? So if a, you know, 
LeBron Ultimate 9510 Rookie Auto is the item you're discussing. Those don't pop up a ton. That's mm-hmm. a pretty rare item. You can get full eBay market value on something like that because there's always someone looking for something extremely rare. Whereas if you're looking for a card we talk about a lot, maybe a Luca PSA 10 Prism base where yeah. there's you know 12,000 of them and it's not super rare. I think that's a little bit of a different argument Definitely. and something to consider. Definitely. And then I think the next point on that, which smart and makes sense and, and is very clear to me, but as an individual seller selling off platform for the product that you just mentioned, that may be $10,000, $20,000, $30,000. We've talked about it on this podcast in the past. There are responsibilities that come with that. And there, it is, you know, it's not just a walk in the park to sell something for $30,000 to an individual. There's sure. a lot that goes into it. And one being on eBay, there's protections in place that don't exist Ryan, you operating your shop, like in your first year, you were not as good as a, of a salesman as you were in your second year or your third year, or sure. understanding how to make sure you get the actual value from the card. There's a lot of dynamics that come into play. A lot of times negotiating can be tough. You you like have this emotion of you want to do best for the individual or you want to do best for yourself or you're thinking about your you know car payment and you need to hit that. But then the person comes in and is like, hey, can I get it for this price? And so there's a lot of that that doesn't take place per se when you're behind a keyboard selling on ebay or StockX. and and lou you i know have sold a lot on instagram i know you use instagram stories a lot what are what are some of your thoughts about the comparison like with social media ebay private etc yeah i agree with all the things you guys are saying i just think um like functionally the the main difference is on ebay you're paying direct with paypal you're like Tyler was saying, as a seller, you're getting access to this whole library and like phone book of buyers, basically. So you have to pay big on that. Uh, when you're doing direct on social or direct on PayPal, et cetera, primarily you're going to look at PayPal where you pay. I, I prefer to do that stuff. Uh, I prefer to do both. But uh, I think if I can go there, it's cool because you can do PayPal direct. And then uh, if you're doing an in-person cash deal, like that's where you get into a scenario where you could pay less because you're paying with cash, right? Like I think generally speaking, when you're talking to someone in person and you can hand them cash, you can go, you can take the eBay price and you can cut down from there and you can even cut down from price from there because it's just straight up cash deal. So yeah. uh, I think doing both, uh, all, all three have pros and cons, but for me, the social sales are great because I have, a, you know, I, I have direct access to these people and it's just better to form the relationships. Yep. And I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Uh, Cause the next question is going to be, is cross posting smart? So meaning listing it on every single one of the platforms, do you listen on uh, Facebook, Instagram, eBay, et cetera? Um, eBay is, we talk about this all the time, the biggest marketplace for selling cards, right? The, the amount of attention on eBay, you're not getting on Facebook. You're not getting on Instagram. You're not getting it at a show. You're not getting it anywhere else. It's, it's eBay for a reason. Um, but there are advantages, like Lou said, to, to selling elsewhere. But do you guys post your stuff on all different platforms at once? Do you stick to one at a time? Like, how do you guys do it? Yeah, I so post I, everything everywhere. I the don't. answer's always everywhere. I, I, I'm like 99%. I just put it up on eBay because for it, it's, a, it's a question of how much time, energy, effort are you putting into it? Like, there's more that goes into it. And sometimes that pays off for saving maybe the 13%, you know, fee for using the platform. But for me, that makes things uh, more efficient. 
and my time, you know, you could, I value my time. So listing it on multiple different platforms, if it sells on one, then you got to make sure that you take it down on others or risk looking like a bad seller. Um, if you've got multiple people that are DMing you about interest of the card, like you have to go back and forth on that versus just like eBay, you get a notification, boom, contained. Um, so those are all preferences of the individual. How big are you taking this thing? How serious, how much time, you know, Ryan, this is, you spend your, all your working life on this. You have a lot of different ways you go about it. You have your shop, you have your top customers, you know, you know, I have a customer base. If I'm looking to unload a car that's worth 20 to, you know, $20,000, I know who I'm activating on that. I also sell on eBay. I'm speaking for you. 55 cards a day goes live. You probably dabble a little bit in StockX. You do your own on Instagram. Yeah. Right. But this is a 24 seven thing for you. For me, it's like a side thing. So it, yeah. And I was going to say, I actually do not, I don't sell on StockX. I, I rarely sell on Instagram. The The thing that works well for us for eBay is like when we post on Instagram, we'll like oh, that we're selling something, we'll get 25 to 30 DMs about one thing. When you yeah. put it on eBay, eBay has the interface to, that allows you to manage everything at one stop. Who made an offer? Did you accept an offer? Did they pay? Did you mm-hmm. ship? Did they receive it? Did you get mm-hmm. feedback? Like when you sell something on Instagram or on Facebook, you have to, you know, weed through all the, the offers between different messages, between different buyers. You have to see like, are these guys legit? Like on eBay, you've got a, fa- a feedback score. So there's an advantage there. You've got to see, did they pay? Is their address the same? Again, there's a lot that goes into selling on social media where it's nice, where you may not have to pay a fee, but the amount of like work that eBay does with their interface is is a huge bonus for us. So the only place we sell outside of the store, again, besides breaks, is through eBay. Um, that's just it's so much easier for us to keep track of, and it's easier to lead all of our like our, our followers to like, hey, you want to buy something from us? Here's where it's for sale. It's one stop. So for us, it's it's strictly eBay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My thing on on cross posting is like I'm posting everything on eBay first and then I put it on Instagram afterwards. And like if someone wants everything goes on eBay, right? Everything's there. People can hit me on DMs there and yep. send offers there, etc. But also like if I post it on, on my Instagram page and someone DMs me like, yo, I'll take it, like, cool, I'll just take it off eBay. Like to me, yeah, it's also the the time like you guys are saying, it's the time of like posting it. It takes like five minutes, I get it. And then like you have to go back and check the DMs. And then if something sells on, if I sell something on Instagram and then I go to take it off eBay, it's already been bought. Like that kind of sucks, but like it happens. Um, so to me, it's just like, number one, what am I selling? Cause like, if I'm going to sell a car, that's like crazy expensive. You have to weigh the value of having eBay's protections versus 100%. the, versus the fit you're going to pay. So, yep. All right. And then our, uh, the last kind of part of this is kind of switches the subject completely, but it says, what are your, what are your thoughts on project 2020 from tops as an investment or its sustainability, especially with your, I think it said comments from episode three, but I don't have the rest of it. So just in general thoughts on project 2020. Uh, I, and I think we could kind of shift this as, cause I know we've talked about this, uh, previously off, off air, but thoughts on, on demand printing, right? Panini Instant, Tops Instant, Tops Project 2020. I saw Tyson Beck is doing something with Jason Tatum, right? Like cards that are not pack pulled, right? From a box of cards. Thoughts on that in general? I think that there's a real massive opportunity for it. Um, 
And I think it all is just a function of supply and demand. I think the non-pack pulled aspect is something that will be like, you know, five years from now, like not even a debate per se. Uh, but, But I think that really what you'll start to see to me tops 2020 is the first in the evolution of you know how a supreme drop works or um you know some of these more you know newer fashion brands or even artists for that matter if it's print on demand cool how is you know the print comes and then how does the market react to it if the supply is higher than the demand i mean even if it's fifty thousand fauci and then 10 years from now, Fauci, like, get wins some big, you know, presidential award for the work he's done, and everyone wants a relic of it, and, you know, the demand's 250000 Top 2020 is great. But then there's also some that the hype was so big while it was happening, everyone was just buying, 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 and then three years from now, you know, the print run was 70000 and there's 7,000 people that are interested in the card, like, yeah, doesn't work. But I think what you'll start to see is um, smaller, more contained versions of Tops 2020. To me, Tops 2020 is just uh, the the molding of kind of art and cards. And you're gonna, I think you're gonna see things go there. That's where Tyson Beck is going. I think you're gonna see more and more of this art conversation. I'm currently reading that this book called Boom about uh, uh, contemporary art and the rise of that. So. To me, it's just a sub- top 2020 is a supply and demand thing. And I think that they, in the beginning, it was so hot because the supply was little and the demand was off the chart because they were like, oh, this is cool. And then everyone started chasing. Top 2020 is now still going on, even though some people maybe not realize that, but their new releases are still coming out. I think they oversaturated the market a bit just based on like the conditioning of going back to that site and purchase all the time. But I think some cards will ring tremendously true five years from now and be like seen as real pieces. And the majority of them won't because the demand won't be there. But I think you'll start to see more and more. It's so different than a numbered card to one of 250, right? Then you know how many the supply is. It's constrained. And is the demand greater than that or less than that? If only 100 people are interested in a numbered card to 150, then like, it's irrelevant, but if a thousand people want a card numbered to 150, it creates more demand because you know the print run. Whereas you don't know the print run totally of Luca, which is why grading plays such a factor. Because now you know exactly 12,000 and some change Lucas. Great. That supply is right in front of my face. But when it's raw, it's like, I don't know how many of these exist. Lou, any thoughts? Um, to me, the product 2020 thing, like Tyler said, like, you know, tops now and Panini instant existed in 2017. Did they do Panini instant in 2017 or that came out afterwards? I know tops now is 2017. It's been out for a minute because I remember like, I mean, what year did LeBron beat the Warriors? 17, 16, 17. There's a block card from like LeBron from Panini instant that sells for a good amount of money. It's like, so they've been doing it since 2017. And I think. Product 2020 was the first stab at what it looks like in a different context. To me, what happened with Product 2020 was they've they gave everyone the call, like every artist does every guy, and it's like there's 400 tops now cards, and it's like why? My thing is why with that, but the idea of it was a good it was a good idea within the context of tops. They're in the business of printing cards, so it makes sense that they want to create as many cards as humanly possible. In terms of resale, I'm not so sure. Um, I think 
the Ben Baller ones are always going to be a big factor going forward. Um, I think the Blake Jamison ones are pretty dope as well. So that's just personal opinion. But my thing is, I think over the long term, probably 2020 itself won't hold the value other than the early printed cards that have like a thousand, two thousand print yeah. run, like the Trout. Uh, but the idea of it is here to stay. And I definitely will, I think we'll see different iterations of it in the future. Yeah, I agree with almost all of that. The idea is going to stay. They will continue to print it. That's that's going to happen. I, I think the other good point you make is is demand, right? Like, or is uh, supply. If, if you would have given one artist one rookie card to draw and they would have each drawn one, and then yeah, it's over 10 rookie cards, then, then I think the demand is there. The fact that there's the same guys being repeated you know every six weeks or so like in terms of like rookies or artists it just it, it seems like it's you're you're just creating more supply than there is demand um but i think on like specific events like again like things like the lebron block with like panini instant like if you're creating cards around a, a memorable thing um i think that has more de- uh more sustainability long term it'll be interesting to see but the 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 idea or the concept of on-demand printing it's definitely definitely here to stay yep. and uh, you know like Ben Baller could do a collab with, well, who knows a presidential candidate or the next big rapper or, uh, and all of a sudden it blows up and then people are in demand of his stuff. So that is also a factor. Like these things will play out and the artist, the way that art works and the way that markets respond to certain artists. At one point you could buy the same Andy Warhol painting that goes for seven figures today for a thousand bucks. Yep. And then he became an icon and, just massive culturally relevant. So uh, I, I, I think the art collaboration thing is, is really important. Um, but yeah, we're going to see how the supply plays out compared to the demand over time. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into this week's interview. We recently sat down with Pat Neshek, former major league baseball pitcher about his hobby journeys, as well as his time in major league baseball. So here is that interview. Welcome back to Card Talk. Uh, this is Lou. I'm here with Ryan. Tyler could not join us today, but it's all good. We are here with Pat Nishak, uh, former MLB pitcher, um, amazing collector. I want to talk to him forever about it, but I'm going to let him introduce himself here. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, let's talk some cards. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. Um, my first question, this is a personal one for me, just cool. to get us rolling here. Um, you pitched for the Astros, my favorite yeah. team. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit about your career in general, um, yep. and then specifically about your time in the best city in America, Houston, Texas. Well, let's just start off with the Astros. Um, tw- uh, <laughs> 2015, I was coming off an all-star year with the Cardinals. Um, yep. They went out and they signed Luke Gregerson. We kind of fortified the bullpen, and people were like, why are you spending money on that? Um and, and, and they were like, you're just going to get last place again. And and we got into spring training and Hinch was his first year. Um, and he was kind of like, he was with the Diamondbacks for a little bit managing, but he, he kind of like, was like, you guys, what, what do we do here? So it was, he got kind of the veteran guys together and we kind of set the rules and like, it was kind of neat. I mean, I never got to a place to have that kind of freedom. Um, uh, St. Louis was real structured, structured, um, Minnesota was really structured, San Diego is kind of a, a shit show, <laughs> but, um, and Oakland was really fun. So I, I would compare it really like Oakland was, um, it was just a really loose clubhouse. A lot of guys you knew were going to be really good. Um, but they didn't, um, they didn't really, uh, they, they didn't really, um, 
you know, like Correa wasn't up in the big leagues yet. So we kind of just took the season uh, and we were just kicking guys butts early on. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it was weird. A lot of people didn't believe in us and we ended up getting the wild card that year. Um, yep. And, and then, yeah. And it just went from there. So, yeah, I, uh, my, one of my favorite things now is to think about, because obviously, listen, I'm not going to actually, I'm not even going to do this to myself because I was about to get into the Astros thing and I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> but what I'm going to say is one of my favorite things now is to look back on those on those teams because a lot of the seeds of what they became in, in 17 and 18 and 19 yeah. starts there. So I I love I love those teams. So, yeah, uh, it's so crazy. Funny I, I think, you know, I think a lot of the veteran guys, too, like Luke Gregerson was was huge with a lot of the guys. I know he sat Bregman down. I think he was like one for 40 and and he had a conversation with him. Um, and they sat down, they drank some beer after a game and the next game he came in and had three hits and it kind of set him off. And I know yeah. guys like Feldman were there for like Keuchel, um, and, and some of the other guys, uh, we, we just had a good base and, and I don't think those older veteran guys get a lot of credit and, and, and that's kind of what, what turned that whole organization around. And yeah. then the guys took it from there, like guys like Will Harris and stuff stepped up, um, and were great for the pitching staff. Yeah. Um, so as you're playing in baseball, you obviously had a pretty long career winding. You, went to, you played on a few different teams or several different teams. Um, what was it like collecting during that time? I know you were collecting when you were a kid and then yeah. you got back into it as you were a pro. So talk about that a little bit. And like, were you just like rolling up to guys in the dugout and being like, hey, yeah. Alex Bregman, want to sign this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it's weird. Like I, I grew up like um, collecting a lot of stuff in the 80s. Uh, I was in Minnesota though. So it was really hard. Like I never knew you could like stand outside the Metrodome and guys would walk by to their car and you could get them. So I would always see, they had a card shop in Minnesota called Schinders and I would always see the autograph cards and they were like five, 10 bucks for like the crappy guys. And you know, it, it, prices went from there, but I never knew it was that easy to get guys. So when I went to college, um, my roommate was like, he was a big Ohio state guy and he would just like rack them every week and get the football team basketball. And this was like the infancy of eBay. So like he was selling these balls for two, $300. And he, he, one weekend he's like, Hey man, you want to come with? And I'm like, what are we doing? Going to the game? I'm like, can we scalp tickets or something? I don't have much money. He's like, no, we're going to get the whole team to sign stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then we're going to sell this, you know? And I'm like, okay, I'll just, so I want to, I was kind of like his lackey and I would hand two, three balls. And, and man, I, I had like enough like pizza money for like, three months in, in like one week and I'm like hey what are you doing next week and let's go let's go get somebody else so pretty soon I was getting like dude basketball or Connecticut women's I'm like I can't believe I'm getting some of this stuff but like it was really cool to like to like flip it real quick and 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 go from there so that kind of got me into it and then baseball came around I always had a passion for baseball um and they had the triple a team in Indianapolis I went to school at Butler and that's right in Indianapolis Indiana so these guys would come out and like I remember one night like Alfonso Alfonso Soriano walked by and I think he signed we had like a like a hundred count lot of like these just minor cards and we handed it and he was like waiting for like his car like his ride and he just sat there and signed a hundred cards and i'm like this is awesome and you know like two years later the guys like went in world series and yeah um is a star so but it was just stories like that where like you could always i always like that um you could go out there uh meet somebody and there's always a great story behind it all so so then flash forward you know i get drafted um this is about 2003, uh, and nobody ever really made a card. I got a card, I think it was 2002 was my first one in Elizabeth in Tennessee. It was a team card, and I was yep. just like, oh, this is awesome. 
So then 2003, I got a Quad City card, and I found the guy who actually made, like, the the minor league cards, and I was like, I need to get a stack of, like, 10,000 of these things because I want to give these out to fans and stuff. And so the guy was cool. He just made a big lot. And then every year from there on out, I just contact him every time the team set card. I'm sure it's probably illegal now that, you know, <laughs> it's like, hey, make 10,000 Yeah, you definitely pool- can't do that. <laughs> yeah, let's make some pool host cards here, these trout cards. Um, but so I did that and then I started a web page and that was, you know, back then, like nobody had the phones. I, I brought a laptop on the bus and I had like the little wireless card and so I could like download stuff and check scores, but it was like, everybody would make fun of me. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm going to make this blog. Um, and I would update it every day with like the autograph stories that I saw. Like we had Joe Maurer on our team. So it'd be like, oh, look how much he got hounded. And here's what's all the stuff that went up on eBay and look at all these fakes and stuff. And so it was really, um. It was really cool to see that grow. And then, you know, I kept that up until I got to the big leagues and I always had an offer. I didn't really have, I didn't get a Bowman card or like a top card until I actually made the big leagues and had like three months in. But I always made an offer since I had all those minor league cards, like, hey, send me a card of anybody and I'll send you one of mine. So that's kind of how it started. And the blog was, I used to like post all the letters I would get with like, hey, I got something from Joe in Portland, Oregon. or um, And and I would write back, like I, I'd post pictures of some of the cool stuff I got or the fans I met. And it kind of blew up after like the 06, 07 season with the Twins. But I got, I met so many cool people and um, my collection just really grew and it was, it was kind of nuts from there. So what are you, uh, Pat, I know you, you, from watching you on, on social, you collect a lot of, uh, a lot of different things, but what do you, what do you really focus on now with your collection? Yeah. Yeah. My, my main thing is like vintage baseball. Um, I love, like, I, I love the 1970 top set. I, I use PSA to get that stuff graded. So like, I think I got it done like almost 80% in a 10 and it's the best in the world. Um, I have, some, I have some really cool, like older, like mantle rookies that are eights in, in the Bowman. Um, Eddie Matthews yeah really some really cool high-end stuff um but my probably my passion is like autographed tops cards um just because they don't really hold value I mean you could get like I mean I not like trout but you could get some of these superstars and you could still find them for five ten bucks on eBay um cards usually typically don't I mean they do and they don't but they're they're like the lower end so you could accumulate a lot more of them they're easy to store um that that's probably my passion. I like to, you know, see what collectors are doing um at some of the AAA parks or if a guy's doing a sign in somewhere, um they'll help me out and and we could finish the set. But that's I like to work on the old top sets and or even the new sets and and try to finish them. Very cool. But I but yeah. I have I have a lot of I mean I have like garbage pail sets, um some just like I, I really like vintage, like the, the Hall of Fame guys, the stars. Um, some I used to do a lot of rock and roll stuff from the 60s autographs. Um, but just one of my hobbies is to go out on, on like on, there's a really good like town auction in this in Melbourne down here. And just just to see the stuff that comes up, it's 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 I love city auctions. I love going to garage sales and just finding value and stuff. So, <laughs> so you I would say, you know, for listeners of our show, we're typically more talking about the the card market and yeah. and, and buying and selling cards for yep. for profit yep. a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah. You're, you would consider yourself much more of a hardcore collector, right? Um, I, I like the flips. I like to sell stuff too. I mean, if I see, you know, this weekend I saw 
I saw a mantle and one of my good friends is Steve Grad at, at Beckett Authentication. So I'll just send him a picture and he's like, yeah, that's real. So I picked up a mantle for about a hundred bucks and it was an eight by 10. I didn't really want it. And, and I found somebody on eBay and nothing sold like the next day for 275. So, I mean, if I see a value, I'll buy it. It's not really going to stay in my collection, but, but if you see stuff that's underpriced, yeah, I'm definitely on it. And, and I do that with cards too. I mean, I'll use vintage card pricing and, 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 if there's something that, I mean, I just, what was the auction? The other Robert Edwards, I picked up a, a Jordan eight for, I think it was like 4,500 bucks. And I know they're going for about six, 6,500. Yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be an easy flip down the road. Yeah. I'll, but I mean, you just, it, it's just stuff. You, you, you just use some of the stats out there and, I, I like to do the graded though. I'm really bad at the, the raw stuff. I, I'm terrible. <laughs> I can't like, I'll send it everything in. Like I opened, I bought a bunch of 85 tops. I was working on like a PSA 10 set. I was picking them up on four sharp corners for like $5, like in 2011 mm -hmm. and 12. And I had like four, four, probably 60% of the set done in a 10 for like three, four grand. It was nothing. I was picking up like the puckets were like a hundred bucks back then. The Clemens is like 125. Um, but I bought, I bought a couple of rack cases like three months ago and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try my hand again at this grading thing here. And I, I went, I sat like days, like looking at, I'm like, this has got to be a 10, you know, and I put it in the holder and I finally got my, I mean, PSA Beckett, everybody's backed up right now, but I got one of the orders back like last week. Oh man, I failed so bad. Yeah, crushed. Like, yeah, it was like seven tens out of like a hundred and ten eighty five cards. Yeah, I'm like, you, what do I do with these eights? I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with these things. <laughs> that's uh, that's something I think, Ryan, that I want to talk about down the road as well. But just like the the act of grading is like such a tough thing. Like, yeah, you know, you look at these cards and like I'm like, all right, cool. Like I got this dope little like Joe Adele card right here. I uh -huh. think this card is super cool. I'm like, oh yeah, this looks great. This is a 10. And then I send it to them and it gets a seven. And I'm like, how does that happen? Like yeah, none of it yeah. makes any sense to me. Like I would love <laughs> to be able to dive into that one day a little bit more. But yeah, that's fun. So you have like a wild, hardcore, like super deep, complete sets, right? Yeah, yeah, for the sign stuff and and the graded. Yeah, I like to build those. Yep, that's that's so cool. So like, and it's cool. Like that's a cool thing. Like with with some of the PAs, PSA stuff or or Beckett with the registry, you can see how many's out there, and that's kind of why I gravitate gravitate towards vintage is, is just because like nobody's finding this new stuff. I mean, some of the stuff you kind of wonder because in the last two years, I mean, you'll see stuff from probe scene that comes up, and it's like, where is he trimming these? Or like somebody's got to be trimming these out of like sheets because. I mean, I've seen so much new stuff in the last two years that I haven't seen in the last like 15. Um, yeah. so, and, and then I try my hand at it and it's like, they're coming back sevens. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This is so comparable to what I have in my hand. But um, but yeah, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I think part of that is the last couple of years has been such a big explosion again that all these people who had these things in their closet and these things in their parents' garage that they had completely forgotten about, they have they randomly now come across stuff on Instagram and Twitter and they're back at their parents' house for a holiday season and they're like, Oh my god, I have this like ridiculously rare car. Yesterday, yeah. I haven't told you this year, I this is unrelated, but I was talking to someone yesterday who used to work at Vayner Media and she was going through her parents like garage something like that and she found like five figures worth of po pokemon cards <laughs> like just sitting there sealed wax sealed packs and i'm like and it the only reason it's in her head is because now she's seeing us talk about it and i'm sure there's like people yeah. talking to her about it and blah blah but like the awareness of cards now is bringing people back to it where they can go into their garage and they can find all this crazy rare stuff like it's pretty amazing yeah it's it's nuts my one of the kids dads on my little league team he's like what are you doing this week and i'm like well i'm i'm 
I'm, I'm sending I'm cleaning out the closet. So, you know, a lot of this modern <laughs> stuff's crazy right now. And we got to talk and he's like, well, I, I have a couple, I have a couple of MJ rook, Michael Jordan rookies and, and I don't know where they are though. I think they're under my kid's bed. I had them when I was, you know, younger, under my and I'm kid's like, bed. Yeah. I was like, I was like, bullshit. You know, you, there's no, there's no way you have this. <laughs> and sure enough, he brings them by and I'm like, looking at, him, I'm like, well, that's like a five. I'm like, you know, this is like 2,500 bucks right now, you know? And he had the whole sticker set. And, and then he's like, I'm like, I'm like, what else do you have? He's like, well, I don't, I have this like series one garbage pill set. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, who are you? Like, why do you guys? That's, that's, so, so that's kind of the people that are coming out right now are like, you know, they're going, Hey, this stuff is worth money. So it's really cool to see a, a lot of that stuff, like come out, come out of the woodwork. You know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I look for like a lot of my one-on-one cards and it's like, did some kid open this up in 2007? It's been sitting in his closet and now he's finally selling it. It's, it's yeah. pretty cool to see what comes up on eBay every night. So when you're when you're looking around, do you do you you buy your own stuff? I assume, right? Yeah. yeah so do you know yep. do you know Tyler Wagner well at all? So yeah, yeah, I've, we follow each other. I, I you know I don't know him too well though. Yeah, we yeah. were talking to him about it, and he was like, "Yeah, like I'm always looking for my car that I can always I can never find my stuff." And he found like a gold Bowman Auto <laughs> or something like that, oh, yeah. and he was yeah, so and excited. Then they hold it hostage. <laughs> and I was thinking about the idea of me pulling out like my own Bowman Gold card, and I was like losing my mind. So like I would love to hear about you, like if you've yeah, ever bought it, your own stuff. It's cool. Yeah, I do all the time. Um, but it, it's really funny. You get two. There's like two sets of people. It's like one that want that want to hold it hostage from you. Yep. Two. There's like the people that'll buy it and try to flip it to you and hold it hostage to you. And then there's like three that don't even want to charge you a dime and they're just like thankful that yeah. you collect. And so it, it's funny seeing both um, sides of it. I had a my first card was a box topper in 2006 tops update. And so they only they didn't even put me in the set. It was just a box topper, like they and and so there's fifty different guys you could be. And they made a five ninety nine version, and then they made the refractor version of twenty five. So I've over the years I found eight. I know there's one other out there, and this guy's like, I need like five jerseys and a couple hundred bucks, and I'm like. You know, this is like a $20 card at the most, and it's only because I'm buying it, you know, man? And, like, he doesn't – still to this day, like, he'll probably watch this show right now, and and, and he'll, he'll try to contact me, and I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm like, just burn <laughs> the card. Like, what's this, this – is, it's easier just to let it go. So, But, yeah, I, I it, it's cool to see the stuff. I mean, with some of those odds, like, just for that card to get opened and then surface on eBay or anywhere at a card show, yeah. it's pretty amazing because there's so many people that – you know, can wind up with this card that, that don't, don't sell or like they end up in like a shoebox or at a goodwill. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've actually, man, I've gotten like most of my one-on-one like platinums from tops. I've, I've been in it, I think every year since like 07. And I, I would say I've got like 75% of them. Um, so cool. and most people have been cool. It, it's usually, you could find them like people either put them up, like buy it now for like 20 bucks. So I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. You know? And then sometimes you just got to, you just got to leave it sit. And, and and some people over the last couple of years, I've, a lot of people have started like player collecting me. So I'm kind of fighting them too. And, um, <laughs> but I always, I told them I have a rule. I said, I'm not signing anything that's numbered less than 10 because I, I want it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, um, and Pat, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw on your Instagram page recently, you found like one of your one-on-ones that was like misspelled, misspelled. on eBay. I thought a oh, guy like list wait. listed an eBay auction yeah, and it was like misspelled. Yeah, yeah. people put and it was an, like this would have went for a lot more put, if it was people, spelled right. Yeah, people put an AK at the end of my name sometimes. It's very rare, but like this one was awesome because I think it was like 
I want to say it was like a Ginter like mini or something I got for like, it was like $9.99. And that thing would have been swapped up by one of the player collectors. I didn't see this thing either for like a month, but yeah, you always have to check. I mean, I I always put like a save search on eBay. So every morning if something like just random, you know, I have a couple, like I I collect like the 52 Hoyt Wilhelm in a high grade. So that one doesn't really come out much. Um, I do like a lot of the 06 like update refractors. Those never come out anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always fun to just check in every night and and see what pops up. So one of the things Lou and I were talking about, uh, before we started was we know you used to pitch. Um, I'm not the bigger of the two, the baseball guys on this show. It's definitely Lou, but I'm just curious again, completely off topic from cards, but unwritten rules of baseball to tease last night, three Oh swings, grand slam up already up seven. Just your thoughts on that. I'm just, Uh, I don't see anything wrong. I, I like it. Um, I don't know who would really complain about that either. I mean, it's 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 ten three. Um, I don't even know who was in. It looked like was it Nicasio? I couldn't tell. Um, uh, no, it was it was a different somebody. guy. I'm gonna look. Yeah, it up I mean, it's ten three. I mean, this guy's working his butt off trying not to get sent down. Um, make a better pitch. You know, don't don't fall behind. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's just that's throw a better thing. pitch. I, mean, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I I I don't. I've never heard that one before. Um, oh, it was Nicasio. You're right. Good job. Was it okay? Yeah, yeah, he's. I mean, he's just up fresh. I think he just got called up last week. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he. He's just like pissed. He gave up the home run. You know, I mean, I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen any of the comments. Uh, but yeah, this the the new this new age baseball. I mean, you're getting you're getting managers that are 35, 40 years old. That um, some some aren't really, you know, tuned into the game as much as they should. And 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 it, it's it's changed a lot. Um, maybe that's that's i mean from what i saw the last couple of years it was a different brand of baseball yeah it's just interesting to me like his own manager like kind of threw him under the bus last night yeah after the game and it's like come on man like it's so yeah. strange all everything tatis does and brings the baseball is a positive it's a huge positive it makes people like ryan who doesn't really like baseball be interested because tatis hits a bomb and then dances his way through the entire dugout like it's funny <laughs> So it's yeah. it's it's always very weird to me when that stuff happens, and it was it was cool to see Davies kind of come to his come to his aid last night as a backup, yeah, like just yeah. just throw a better pitch. So um, yeah, 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 I was assuming I, I that mean, as well. I think everybody's just trying to be so PC with with uh, yeah some of these jobs, and I, it was cool to see like Donaldson and and Trevor Plouffe like going, hey man, you know, I, and uh, as a pitcher, I'm just like you know three zero. I'm like I'm trying to throw a strike and. Hey, like, and by the way, the he, pitch he wasn't that bad. I, would, I mean, what would you rather do? Give up a grand slam or like walk the guy in? I mean, both are pretty crappy. So yeah, it's like, it's whatever. tough. Yeah, it's super I, tough. I don't see anything wrong and good for him. Yeah. Um. Cool. So I think, you know, just to wrap it up here, uh, it was awesome to have you on. Thank you for coming. Yeah. And just what are you thinking about in terms of what, what cards, you, what sets are you trying to finish right now? And then is there any, are there any newer things that you're into right now? Yeah, um, my son's been like real into cards. Um, so it's weird where I'm at. They're the closest card shops like 45 minutes. So we'll go to like Walmart or Target and try to hit up the blaster box section. And that's been sold out lately. It's, it's <laughs> hard. You'll, you'll see like 500 Pokemon boxes, but you'll see like one pack of like, it'll be like a, a, a I don't even know what's even, it'd be like a Panini Optum or some Optic or something would be on there. But so we'd buy, we'll buy anything that's out, but it's just hard to find product right now. Yeah. So, um, yep. what am I trying to collect? I don't know. The, the, the whole, this whole modern craze is, is pretty cool to see. I mean, I, I've been collecting pretty hard, like the boxes and stuff since 06. 
it's just weird. I mean, we bought a couple boxes of just regular Topps base, and, and you're only getting, like, one or two gold cards in the whole box. And I remember, like, you would get, like, six to eight to 16, so the odds are – I mean, that means they're printing just a ton of stuff, which is yeah. – it's really cool. There's a lot of really good people at Topps and, and, and around the hobby. So I, I love the enthusiasm. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I hope – I mean, with social media, I think there's really cool ways where everybody can collect. So um, that's different from the 80s where, like – I mean, people are going to have their guys and, and I just think we might need like a new medium for ways to, to, to flip like graded cards or, or stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, it's, to me, it's really cool to see though. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So yeah, Pat, thank you again. Tell them everyone that they want to follow you on card. This is your new cards account, right? Wait, I'm trying to do the point thing. Yeah. Down yeah. There. I have it. I have it private. So it's basically just, we're going to talk about, um, you know, cards on there and collecting and memorabilia and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, Twitter, it's, it's kind of like, you'll get, you'll get like a hundred trolls and stuff. And, and <laughs> I, I still like to be on there. I don't really have, have a problem with it, but, um, the niche, the Instagram thing has been really awesome. I've had a lot of fun with it. Hell yeah. And of course we are brothers in eBay. Shout out to oh, eBay. Yeah. The best oh, place yeah, of all yeah. time. <laughs> the eBay, that was really fun. We did, you know, we had uh, eBay came in. They filmed my whole collection. It's really hard for me to open up my collection and show it off. And they made it real easy. And, and we sat here a couple of days. Um, you know, I think they hit on everything that I collected. Um, just tons of stuff. They, they kind of, they showcased the, like my Reggie Jackson cards, um, my Thurman Munson, my Kirby Puckett. He yeah, was that video was so player. cool. Yeah, when I was little. So um, it, it, it was really cool that um, that, was, that wasn't, I've I've been on eBay since you know the late '90s. I don't know if there's too many card pl- baseball card, <laughs> baseball players that that do that, but um, I love to to sell on there. It's it, that's where I go. Oh yeah. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Thank you again, and we'll thank you, Pat. talk to you yep. soon, bro. Thank, thanks, guys. See you, Pat. All right. So that was our interview with Pat Nishak, former Major League Baseball pitcher. Appreciate him coming on and and chatting with us. Although Tyler wasn't able to be there, it was still a hell of an interview. So. Let's now get into Stump the Shop. Stump the Shop's brought to you by eBay, your number one stop for buying and selling trading cards and memorabilia. So, Lou, I'm just going to get right into it. What what happened with your your Bulbasaur, the leaf in the title? How did yeah. we do? Um, we did pretty well, Tyler. You know, I, I was exp- honestly, I was a little bit let down early on, but I've rec- I've since recovered and thought to myself, oh wait, we three X'd on this card, so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, so I actually said last time on the show we bought it for three twenty five. We actually bought it for two twenty five. Okay. Uh, so that's a W. I'm gonna and, need proof. Uh, sure, I would love for you to check out the Google sheet that you don't look at. Um, the card went at auction and it finalized at $673. Uh, it sold to an international buyer actually. So that was exciting. Um, and it finished off. Yeah. $670. It sold for. So we are now plus four thirty something or whatever. That's quick math. I don't think that's right, but that's fine. Uh, for, for, yeah, four thirty something. So uh, I think me and you need to have a conversation about what we're gonna buy. I have some. I have some thoughts. Are we? I have a question for the group. Are we allowed to buy something raw and grade it and count the grading fees against? The show? I was. I was thinking about that. That's super intriguing. Um, the only thing I think we risk here is in not getting done in time. Then it kind of just. How much time do we have? We have like six weeks, right? We have twenty weeks. Or 18, yes, 18. I think we can. I think we can pull it off. If you got a guy, you got a guy. I got a guy. I got some raw action I'm thinking about. 
and I think we can make some real cash. So I kind of want to do it and just keep pounding Ryan. I, I agree. I agree. I think it's right. within the rules. I think right. that's kind of like we're we don't bring this up at all. And then you're like, hey, let's just go ahead and grade cards. We're just making up rules as we go. Okay, we, let's do this. Let's do this. How makes it this? a little bit more of a challenge when we're just a, like, hey, here's a we're gonna have, we're gonna have this rule. You could have graded your Garrett Cole autographs, but you chose not to. As I'm flipping Garrett Cole. I made two hundred dollars on Garrett Cole. Okay, right, right, remember the point of this, down. the point of this calm discussion is this segment is to show people you don't need like there's multiple ways to flip cards. Right? Yeah, like, one of them is buying a graded card and selling it. Another one's buying a raw card and selling it. Another one is buying a raw card, grading it and selling it. And the other one is buying things you think are underpriced intentionally. The other one is finding underpriced assets. The other, again, there, I just think there's a lot of different strategy here. And that's, like I said, that's why I like it. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what happens long-term. I, I'm, I'm super intrigued by a, it. We right. have a drop dead, you know, if we submit them and they're not back in time, that's, and I got our, cooked. that's RL. Fair enough. All right. All right. Love it. Love it. All right. I think the number one thing we need to get into is a little bit more volume. And that's on me. That's on me. So, Ty, I mean, you can't be taking vacations and not be willing to put in the effort into <laughs> something shop. I mean, I'm taking vacations, putting the, the effort in. Lose not taking vacations and put the effort in. I'm I mean, literally grinding commons while we're recording the podcast. <laughs> like, but that's please. not something shop. It is. It could be listed, Ty. I'll buy it and then we'll sell it. I might, yeah. All right. So I bought a lot the other day. Um, it it uh I have not added it to the Google spreadsheet yet. Just kind of a huh. similar similar mm-hmm. type lot. Nice mixed sports, all graded cards. Um, I will I will I will show that on the the next week's or the next episode we talk about some shop. But yeah, I think gonna need a, we should need a scorecard. A, I think we need a scorecard next week to keep everybody updated yeah. on the total amounts. Yep, let's do it. Gonna 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 need some work though. I mean, four hundred dollars on one card. I mean, trip you know tripling your your money. That's that speaks to what we wanted to talk about on the show. And I'm, you know, hats off to you guys. I mean, you don't need 16 years to do, you know, in cards to, to flip cards, to make money at this. I mean, $400, that's real money. And I think that's important to show people here is, is this can be done and by everyone or every different stage in the, in, in the hobby at this point, um, there, there's definitely an opportunity. So I also um, got these cool pineapple mailers that I'm excited about. I just want you guys to know that. Thank you. Nice. So that is all we got for Stump the Shop this week. Stump the Shop again is brought to you by eBay, your number one stop for buying and selling trading cards and memorabilia. So last segment this week is going to be uh, latest launch. So we've got big release week this week. We've got Immaculate Baseball, Tops Five Star Baseball, Immaculate Collegiate uh, Football for 2020 with Burrow, Tua, and those guys. And then there's I want to double check this, but I think it's called Bowman Transcendent. Yeah. So listen to this. This is the one that intrigues me the most. It's Bowman Transcendent Collection Baseball. So you guys ready for the the price of this? Sounds like some premium product that they're trying to put out. $21,000. There's there's, There's 100 cases total. One box per case. 84 cards per box. It has 50 Bowman icons. It has a 50-card Bowman icon set numbered to 100. It has 30 transcendent collection autographs numbered to 25 or less, including two 101s. You have one Vlad or Jordan Alvarez autograph numbered 101. You have a 55 Bowman Baseball Super Fractor Auto 101. You have an oversized 55 Bowman Baseball Cut Signature 101. What? One, 
one graded Bowman buyback card and one VIP transcendent party invitation limited to a hundred. It says, join us for a collect uh, one of a kind collector's experience among some of the game's future stars. So for instance, Tops had a party, one of these parties recently. It was like Tops Transcendent Collection. It was like, I, I want to say it was in Vegas. It had Mike Trout. Um, th- so th- the ticket alone typically brings some cash, but yeah, $21,000. Like $21,000, 84 cards, and one ticket to a VIP party. So um, that that's sounds crazy. I that, like that product typically ends up in the hands of breakers, and that speaks to how big we talked about it in episode one. It was one of the first things we ever talked about on this podcast. That speaks so much to how big breaking is. Yeah. You get a random team in this entire case. You could hit no cars. You could hit five autographs. You could win the ticket. You could get there's just so much you could get into it. So for a fraction of that $21,000 cost, you get to play the game of you know, one in 30 uh, MLB team. I just, I think that's very intriguing. So talks, uh, talks a lot about, or speaks to a lot about how big breaking is in, in sports card right now. And while it will continue to have success. Are you trying to get some of those or one? Uh, no, that's extremely allocated product. You've got to be a thousand dollars. You got to be a pretty, and there's only a hundred cases. You've got to be a pretty big breaker to, to do that. So Word. that is all we got for this week. Again, check us out on social card talk pod on Twitter and Instagram, but that's all we got for episode eight. See you guys next week. Peace. That's a wrap on card talk this week. Please subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen and get notified when we publish a new episode. It'd mean the world to us. If you gave us a five-star rating and shared this episode with a friend, we'd love to answer your questions. So email us at cardtalkpod at gmail.com and we'll get to it in the next episode. Card Talk is a 1.37 p.m. podcast and a Gallery Media Group original production.